ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb and joining me on Wednesday as he always does for one of my favorite segments that we do no matter when we do it is my friend, my colleague, my brother from another, my West Coast partner <laughs> holding it down. The one and only Ross Jackson. How you doing today, my friend? What's good, man? What's good? Always glad to be here with you, man. Appreciate it as always. Look forward to these every week. I wake up on Monday going, is it Wednesday yet? Is it Wednesday yet? Can I talk to Grub? Are we good? I, I love it. I mean, it, it, and, and again, just to, uh, for all the listeners, the feedback that we get is awesome and we appreciate it. And um, I'm I'm glad that we're giving you something that you respond to because, yeah. I mean, honestly, we kind of do this. I, I would do this just to talk to Ross and we would do this <laughs> for to talk real. to Paul <laughs> and we'd be fine with this. Like this could just be our <laughs> weekly conversation that we get together and have. But right. the fact that y'all love it and 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 listen to it is is just makes it all the better. Absolutely, um, yeah, man, it means a lot. Week seventeen, closing out the regular season. Mm-hmm. A lot on deck. The interesting part about this is how the NFL has switched everything up. So now you got <laughs> Saints, Packers, and Seahawks all playing in the late game. Yep. On Sunday afternoon, so scoreboard watching will become very interesting. Yes. Yes, it's going to be a very interesting thing to see, you know, like, oh, uh, Seattle's losing by 27 and all of a sudden the starters start coming off the field for the Saints and things like that. It'll be really interesting to watch that. Do you, do you think that that's what's something that, uh, look, I, I firmly believe the Saints are the, are, are the type of team that says, hey, one seed, two seed, three seed, we can win this. Mm-hmm. I firmly, you know, we, we believe that. So do you think yeah. there is a point in this game where – Sean Payton just says, let's pull them. Let's pull the starters. Let's get our rest. We got we got enough guys already who are out. I mean, you, you just lost Quan Alexander right. for, the, for the rest of the season. Not, not just mm-hmm. the Raiders, for the season. Right. No playoffs. He's done. Right. I'm not taking the risk against a Carolina team that really has nothing to lose mm-hmm. and wants to win this game because, as Matt Rule said, Losing doesn't teach us anything. And this is a division opponent. This is a, their last home game of the season. This is a team that has a chance to keep the saints from going undefeated in the division. They got Mm -hmm. nothing to lose. They have every one of these guys are in their, you know, first year with this new coach. You're not going to go in week 17 and half ass it. No, not at all. Not at all. And a lot of young players on that team. So there's a lot of opportunity to be evaluated or to evaluate for the coaches. Joe Brady is going to be coaching for a potential head coaching position this offseason. He's getting a lot of talk as being the next kind of like wonder kid to jump into the uh, to jump into the um, jump into the head coaching ranks next season. All of that. And so, you know, it, look, the Panthers have a lot to play for. There's a lot of reasons for them to go out there and perform, particularly on a player by player basis. Even Teddy Bridgewater, to an extent, who wants to be more than a bridge quarterback, right? Like he doesn't want to give the Panthers a reason to go and draft his successor right away right. a year after signing him. Like he wants to play for a continued starting role and not just a mentorship role holdover until they get the real quarterback in the building, quote unquote. Like, you know, he wants to avoid that. 
Uh, Mike Davis has done a lot of good things so far this season. We'll see what this week means for Christian McCaffrey. If he ends up coming back as well to get one more run for the end of the season, I don't imagine that he should be in a hurry to do that, but he might be, who knows, but either, but if he's not, Mike Davis has a lot of reasons to play and to say, Hey, look, I deserve a bigger role in this offense, even when CMC does return. Right. So there's so many different avenues of it. And of course, as we always talk about, it's a divisional game. So you look at the Michael Thomas injury from week one that happened in the fourth quarter on one of the final offensive possessions. And then you take that information and that's enough to inform you that, Hey, when you can get the starters off the damn field, you get the starters off the damn field. I'd like to see Alvin Kamara get 68 rushing yards. And then after that, take them off the damn field. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, you know, the likelihood of the one just seems remote at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. The bears still have something to play for. Yes. They absolutely do against the Packers. Um, and yes, Mitchell Trubisky has played better football since he returned to the starting lineup, mm-hmm. but I just don't know if they'll be able to keep up with the Packers. I, I, I just don't, think it and yeah. even if the Packers lose I'm still that still doesn't guarantee that you need an, a couple of other things to happen and I'm just not right. certain if all those things will fall in place so I'm looking at the Saints as a two seed and again this team has to feel confident that this is what they can do they can go through this and, and win no matter where they have to play yeah yeah I mean if you're if you're a person who believes that the Chicago Bears are the best possible matchup for the Saints in the first round should they play in the wild card round then you have no reason to also believe that the Chicago Bears will knock off the Green Bay Packers you know what I mean like there you you know it, it's hard to connect those two dots but yeah no I, I completely agree I mean I think that this is a team that is is fine if it has to play in the wild card round the team isn't afraid of it you saw Sean Payton's reaction when someone asked him about you know early playoff exits and things like that talking about like look we made it to the conference championship game in 2018 you know what I mean and so for the Saints this is not a huge task for them if they have to play right away and it's the same thing that you look at like Sean Payton has been very good in his career off of bye weeks in the regular season but not every coach has that that repertoire like there's there's a reason why coaches tend to be more effective and, te- and teams tend to win more in consecutive games that don't overlap a bye week that win streaks te- you know, tend to start after a bye week or come to an end after a bye week, whichever side. And so it, it's one of those things to where if they can keep the momentum going and, and even bolster to a bit, because it sounds like Deontay Harris is expected to come back with that wild card round game or, or as soon as he can, I believe it, I believe he's eligible for the wild card game. Uh, Michael Thomas is expected to come back for the wild card game. There's so many of these pieces that they'll get back and we'll see about Trey Hendrickson, Marcus Williams, some of those defensive players that they're hoping to get back sooner rather than later as well. If they can roll right into the playoffs and then continue their sort of rhythm at this point, then I think that they'll take that opportunity regardless of who's the opponent at that point. The one thing that did kind of, I think, make every Saints fan wince was seeing Mm -hmm. the visuals from Green Bay last week and looking out and and seeing it it's snowing the way that it was and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) watching Aaron Rodgers actually still be able to fling it like that. It was right that's yeah. the one thing it's it's it is cold you cannot people i love people who say you know look i was born in michigan i've lived up north mm-hmm. plenty of time it is not a mentality you can't no. just outthink the cold you can't say no. i'm warm you there you can build up a better tolerance to it but it's still cold <laughs> it's still really yeah. cold 
Yeah. Look, as somebody who is like my, I'm, I'm ready to end my day when it drops below 80 outside. I'm done. I'm finished. <laughs> like I, I want nothing to do with that. And I don't think that the saints do either. If they have to go there and play in those conditions, then fine. They'll go there and play in those conditions. Of course. Now you can see that they have a running game, which will travel, but we saw what happened with another team, the Tennessee Titans who also have a running game that you expected to travel that simply didn't. So you have to look at all of these different assets and have an understanding of what it is that the saints bring to the table. That's different. And and what that might look like in that inclement weather type of situation. But you also understand that as the number two seed, you have to make it to the championship round before you travel anyway. And that's assuming that Green Bay advances. We've seen Green Bay choke away playoff opportunities from 2010. 11 all the way through 2016. Like, (laughs) I mean, you know, and and that's not to say anything like right now they've got Aaron Rodgers, who's performing at an MVP MVP caliber. They have the best wide receiver in the NFL this season in in, uh, Devontae Adams. There's no also getting MVP consideration. As well, he should. Like, he has been incredible. He is playing up to, he's not getting the same, you know, amount of catches that Michael Thomas got, but he's playing up to a level that is around when Michael Thomas was getting those same types of MVP mentions last season before winning Offensive Player of the Year, uh, which Devontae Adams should be also firmly in the conversation for as well. Um, They've got a great running tandem back there. It's actually a running trio now, now that A.J. Dillon's starting to come on. So they have everything over on the offensive side. Oh, and Matt LaFleur, of course, who is a big time difference from, you know, Mike McCarthy. And so not that there's anything wrong with Mike McCarthy, but that relationship between he, okay. But that relationship between he and Aaron Rodgers is, is, is much better. I'll say it that way. Um, And so, you know, I I just think that you have to understand that this is a team that has a history of having, of struggling in the playoffs, just like the saints over the last three seasons, you could make that argument for them, even though it's been extenuating circumstances on a couple of occasions. So, I mean, you know, it still has to work out to where the Saints would travel to Green Bay in the first place, which means Green Bay also has to win in the divisional round. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the the, the Vikings game. Sure. Because there's not really – can, l- can I just say that Alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns yeah, in the game? Oh, that's what we're going to focus <laughs> on here. Because, you know, and I mentioned it on Twitter and I shouted you out because yeah. last week we talked about this. You wanted out – Said it weeks, weeks. Let Alvin Kamara cook. Let Alvin Kamara mm-hmm. cook. We, we showed the numbers that his touches had been down, his yards had been down, particularly coming off that, that the four games with Taysom. Um, but in the last six or seven games, he hadn't been getting the regular touches that we thought right. he, he probably would. But he got his touches. Mm-hmm. He got carries. He got catches. Six touchdowns. You know. And then the weird thing to me, of course, is that nationally, that's not been a topic of conversation this entire week. Here we are on Wednesday. And no one is still, not the morning shows, not the football shows, no one is examining and saying something that hadn't been done since the old, 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 old days of the NFL. The Chicago Cardinals fullback. (laughs) And, uh, you know, pre-integration NFL. Right. (laughs) And he does this. Against a legitimate NFL team, yes, we talked about this again too. The Vikings defense was decimated. Yes. Those are NFL players, and if anybody could do it against NFL players, then there'd be guys scoring six touchdowns on a regular basis. Exactly right. It ain't happening. So you look at Alvin Kamara, 21 TDs this season on 270 touches. One side of every 13 times he touches the ball, he's in the end zone, which could should be more, right. which should be more. Right. Career high in rushing yards, like you said, 68 away from 1,000. Mm-hmm. Career high in catches, 
70 yards from career high in receiving yards. What first? Let's just put that game into perspective in what he did, the dominance that he showed there in all areas, um, the versatility. I don't understand how he's not on the board. He's because he's not. He's not even getting, getting real odds for MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a legitimate, if not a strong, case to be made that he's been better than Michael Thomas was last year, considering all that he's had to deal with as a running back. No receivers at times. Offensive right. line going through changes. Drew Brees missing starts. Having to deal with Taysom Hill. All those things. And here he is with 21 touchdowns. And he's about to join some very rarefied air with one or two more scores. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. So look at what he did, right? Six touchdowns, as we talked about, but the the efficiency with which he did it. He played only 60% of snaps on the offense. That is 10.2% less than what he usually plays, right? His average over the course of the season has been around 70.2 snaps per, excuse me, 70.2% of offensive snaps per game. So he was 10% down from his usual average. He scored a touchdown every seven and a half snaps he played. Not times he touched the ball, snaps he played. Uh, He also touched the ball nearly 50, uh, carried the ball in terms of of, uh, getting handoffs in the backfield, ran the ball nearly 50% of the time that he was on the field, right? So he had 22 carries, which was a career high, 155 yards, which was a career high. And then of course, six touchdowns, which was clearly a career high. Um, The other thing about him that I want to mention too, is that he touched the ball not a single time on a third down he had one catch and five carries on second down all the other damage he did came on first down which means they lined up they gave him the ball and he did the rest there was no mystery to it there was no disguise to it running on obvious passing situations nothing like that this was against you know seven eight man boxes oftentimes uh, except for times to where you know Sean Payton utilized motion and utilized uh, get motioning people out to draw some of those man defenders out of the box and things like that. Uh, He did it at the same time that there were two 80 plus yard receivers in the same game that there was another 70 plus yard running back in uh, Latavius Murray, who had 12 carries for, I think 72 yards, 74 yards. I think it was 72. Uh, Drew Brees threw for 311 yards in the same game. So it was not a down game in terms of, of, of the passing situation at all. You had big plays on offense in the receiving game, a 40-plus yard play from Jared Cook, a 40-plus yard play from Adam Troutman. So many different things that would have usually made you say, ah, yeah, this is probably not the biggest day for a running back, or at least it was a moderate day for a running back. And yet he did it anyway. Ten carries in the red zone, five of them touchdowns. <laughs> He, he was insane just in terms of his his efficiency, like leave alone just the overall production, right? Which is obviously you can see and is clear and obvious, but just the context around what he did, how he did it and how efficient he was at it is just a testament to his talent. It was also a testament to the play of the offensive line as well. Like, let's make sure we shout out the offensive line yes. for their contribution to all of it. He was not touched a single time behind the line of scrimmage. Not a single time. He was always able to break the plane of the line of scrimmage and break the the new plane of the line of scrimmage because there were oftentimes that the offensive line did a great job resetting that line of scrimmage or at least moving it horizontally in some cases. The big 40-yard touchdown, that snap took place from the left hash mark. By the time that Alvin Kamara hit the hole, Ryan Ramchek had two defenders blocked left of that left hash mark. They completely reset that play 
to the left portion of the boundary side. It was incredible. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it was an outstanding performance from an efficiency perspective, from a production perspective, and then also from the perspective of everybody around Alvin Kamara that helped make that happen. And then aesthetically too, mm-hmm. like it was beautiful to watch. It yes. wasn't, like you said, it wasn't just, there's sometimes when you see a running back have a big game and it's just big plays, you know, it's right. like, Oh, well he got a bunch of big plays. No, right. he did it every way that you could possibly do it as yeah. a runner. He was complete. And it was it's just a joy to watch. It has to go down. I mean, it, I don't there's so many breeze performances that are going to be put up there. Sure. But and there are a few, you know, there's some, a few George Rogers moments, there are a few sure. Dalton Hillier moments, but it's certainly top two, three now as far as Saints individual offensive performances in any oh. game. It has to be. It has to. I mean, even historically, you look at it, there have only been four games in which a team has rushed for six or more touchdowns in a game as in terms of team total touchdowns, not individual. And two of those games belong to the Saints, the Christmas Day game. And then, of course, the Buffalo Bills game back in 2017. Uh, This is also a game where Drew Brees surpassed 80,000 career passing yards and no one's talking about it because of how which is fine. Right. Like it's he's the first person to ever do it in the NFL. And there's a lot of context to that, of course, but it's what's important from this performance is the domination that the Saints showed in the run game and, and in terms of what that offensive performance was. And and most importantly is they did what they were supposed to do. You, you right. took on a team that was injured, that was coming in and, and had performed, particularly had performed well against you in the past offensively. Mm-hmm. And that was one of our concerns, but outside of the first half, what they did, and it, it turned into somewhat of a shootout. And that was something, that, but not the way we expected. It became right. a shootout in the sense that the Vikings kept getting offensive opportunities because the Saints kept scoring. Right. Um, <laughs> but the, the Saints defense, I thought, did a fantastic job against Dalvin Cook in the second half and completely neutralized Kirk Cousins as well. Took Justin Jefferson out of the game mm-hmm. um, as to a notable exchange with Chauncey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Gardner. another one, man. It was incredible. So... Yeah, so, I mean, it just – but I, I, you give the Saints total credit for that one on both sides of the ball. And, and, and do, we do, do have to give out credit. I, throw some flowers at Cesar Ruiz, who has yes. gotten a lot of shit. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, but he played, I think, his most effective game of the season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, there's – if you were looking at – percent, and this is where context is important, right? If you're looking at percentages, he gave up 66% of the pressures – that the offensive line gave up in this, in this game. However, that meant two out of three <laughs> because that's as much, that's it. That's all, that's all that they gave up. So, you know, like there, there's context to it and everything. And I just want to use that as an example of like, all right, make sure you look at all the numbers granularly as opposed to something that's overarching. And so you look at his performance, he was a huge part of why the 40 yard touchdown happened the day that the, the run that started Alvin Kamara's day in terms of getting that first touchdown. He was a huge part of that because he came all the way over from the right guard spot and made a block over on the left side of the field that had the depth of a left guard like he completely that was a part of them resetting that offensive line you saw him getting down the field you saw Eric McCoy getting down the field as well so there were a lot of opportunities to really showcase okay this is where Cesar Ruiz's value absolutely is and yes it's not the strongest defensive line but we've seen him struggle against against off uh, defensive lines that we could also say were not the strongest right so I think that it, it was a good moment to see 
to see that. I think that that is something that will sort of preserve for him and be sort of maybe that confidence builder moving forward through the rest of the season. And it's good tape for him to be able to look at and for the offensive line coach, Dan Rauscher, to be able to look at him and say, this is what you need to do. Like this is, you put it on tape yourself. Now let's replicate this and then keep it moving forward. Um, the biggest concern with this team um, is injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do they sit situationally? Again, I think we're not as concerned with the receiving core and their injuries, right. that those guys will be back. We got Marquez Call- Callaway back. You, 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 like I said, yeah. um, Harris and, and um, Mike Thomas will be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they added Jake Kumaro, touchdown Jesus. There you go. And But the, the defense is where the concern is, particularly mm-hmm. um, with Trey Hendrickson, uh, uh, and his status, he's got to be on the field to, for this team to be effective in the postseason. Um, what are the other concerns, especially now with Quan out? Um, how that means Alex Anzalone back into to, right. to heavy reps. Is that enough? Yeah, I think that the three main places for concern, and it's unfortunate because on the defensive side, it's 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 a major concern at all three levels, right? You have Trey Hendrickson at the defensive line. You got Quan Alexander at the second level with the linebackers and then Marcus Williams in the secondary. Those are big. You know me in neck injuries. I don't mess with them. I don't mess with them. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them. And that's what Trey Hendrickson's dealing with right now. He missed last week's game. He's still right now tied in the NFL for second in sacks. Hopefully he can get back out on the field on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, or maybe the right decision is to hold him out of that game and then bring him back for the playoffs. Right. So we'll see exactly what decision they make. I imagine that they'll be smart with him, Even if they do have him back out there, they played an entire game without Trey Hendrickson and still deployed 19 different player combinations uh, along the defensive line and 45 different positional technique uh, designations as well. So they can, they'll be fine if they, if they have to play without Trey Hendrickson. I mean, I think that there was a notable uh, dip in defensive line production, but they did a lot of different things that were really interesting. They played a lot of three down linemen in this game. No surprise, particularly in the second half because Kirk Cousins and the Vikings were forced to try to throw themselves back into the game. So they're able to get five to seven different players up on the line of scrimmage. And then some would drop back into coverage and then some would blitz. So either the linebackers would drop back or some combination of linebackers and safeties would blitz. And that type of game plan really confused Cam Jordan's sack came down to this. The sack fumble came down to the right guard expecting Demario Davis to blitz and then being off base by the time that Cam Jordan was already up against his face mask. So it, it those types of. That, that sort of artillery that you have there and that type of deployment that you have there will help you even if you can't get Trey Hendrickson back out on the field on Sunday. And maybe they choose not to put him back out on the field on Sunday with that in mind, hoping to get him back healthy for the playoffs where he can continue to be uh, continue to wreak havoc and, and do what he's been doing so far this season, call it a mirage or not in terms of the, the future outlook in terms of re-signing him it's happening right now. And that's, what's important. And so the saints can use that production uh, getting, getting Marcus Williams back is obviously something that's going to be big come playoff time. I could see them potentially taking their time with him too. If they should, they need to PJ Williams actually played pretty well. DJ Swearinger got in there for some of the cover two split safety looks. He played very well. Uh, there's a actually that same play with the Cam Jordan sack. So the symbiotic relationship between coverage and, and pass rush that we talk yeah. about a lot. Um, DJ Swearinger played over the top of both Alex Anzalone and Demario Davis to help them out who were guarding a Demario Davis, I think was guarding a wide receiver out of the slot. And then Alex Anzalone was guarding a tight end 
from off of the, uh, from inline. And he was hovering right over the top of them, took away both of those options. And then PJ Williams and Mar- Marshawn Lattimore did a great job bracketing Justin Jefferson, forcing Kirk Cousins to hold onto the ball, sack fumble. So it, those types of, uh, that, that relationship will still have to be there for them. I think that those two are obviously, um, achievable to work without because we watched them do it last weekend mm-hmm. or on Christmas day. But the big one for me is going to be the loss of Quan Alexander. That leaves a big hole in the middle of the field in coverage, leaves a big hole defending the flats. It leaves a big hole in the pass rush. There's a lot of different places where that is now affected. So for Alex Anzalone, what I'm most curious about is that we know that he has skill sets that can work in Quan Alexander's role as it was. He does have range. He does have a really good uh, diagnose and attack ability, not as quick as Quan Alexander, of course, but not enough of a drop-off that I'm too entirely concerned. Just speaking from a raw skill perspective, it's just translating that out onto the field. I'll be curious to see if Alex Anzalone can plug into what that role was created by Quan Alexander to be and how that affected those other players in the defense that freed them up. We had a lot of conversations about that, right? Mm-hmm. Can, can uh, Alex Anzalone slide back into that role and play the role the way that it was sort of contrived or let me say refined? Evolved. Yeah, yeah, by Quan Alexander. Or does it force any other changes around the defensive side? Obviously, the latter would be, excuse me, the former would be much more uh, appropriate going into the playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see which way they have to go with it. Yeah, because DeMario Davis was the main beneficiary. Every one of the defenses did benefit um, with Quan coming on, but DeMario Davis, it allowed him to do what he does best. And, right. and uh, that's the thing is if he has to shade more, if he has to have right. more responsibility and coverage that Quan had taken on, uh, and, and in those, the ability to vary up um, those blitz packages. And mm-hmm. when you have pass rushing, it either be DeMario coming or it could be Quan. And they're both extremely effective as pass rushers in yeah. that regard. Those are the things that I'll be looking for to see how they adjust there. Um, but Dennis Allen has done a fantastic job of creating individualized schemes from week to week for teams. I, I just, again, that's why you talked about it all season that he may not. Uh, be back right. next year because there are a lot of teams right now looking for uh, those kinds of innovative, adaptable minds because that's what you have to be in the in this NFL. You, you cannot have a system in particular. That's what Sean McVay is running into at the Rams now is that people yep. are viewing him now as a system offensive guy that doesn't adapt very well. Dennis Allen on the defensive side doesn't seem to be that. He seems to be a guy who looks at his personnel and says, how can I maximize all of these guys that I have a role for every single one of them? And that's, that's a saints hallmark. Yes. Um, exactly. we go back to the beginning of the season is having individualized ideas for every one of those players on how you can get something from them from week to week. And, and uh, just, that's been, I think the, the biggest involved uh, evolution of the saints for the last three years, not mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball, it's just been how adaptable and almost Patriots like defensively exactly right. they have become. Yeah, yeah, because they'll vary. They'll do they'll do something completely different every week. They're ready to take on something different every week, just like they are on the offensive side, to where the attack is never the same. It's like when we were talking about people asking who's going to be wide receiver number three, and we were like, which week? Because it's going to change. It's going to yep. change every week. Wide receiver two is going to change every week. Wide, wide receiver, receiver one's one is going to change every week. <laughs> like that's just part of what this offense does, right? Option one is never the same week to week to week when everybody's healthy, and so and and, and I think that we've seen now throughout this season, even when everyone's not healthy, 
that it's never a consistent attack, which is a good thing, right? That variant, you know, Sean Payton talks all the time about being multiple. And you see that from Dennis Allen over on the defensive side with the way that players are utilized and deployed. I mean, you know, tracking the defensive line all season has been incredibly interesting because the only pattern is that there's no damn pattern. You know, the only pattern that's really there is what they do on third down, which is a lot of three down linemen, sugar in the A gap, like having both those linebackers play up against the, the line of scrimmage. And then sometimes they're dropping into coverage and sometimes they're not. Generally, they're bringing pressure with the safety. That's really the only rhythm that you can find. And they do a really good job of establishing that tendency and then breaking it and then establishing again and breaking it. So it's, you know, the the way that the Saints defense has adapted and has evolved over time with Dennis Allen replicates the rhythm of the Saints offense in its unpredictability, in its ability to create and break trends, and its ability also to improve and evolve within a game and within a season. We saw some really great adjustments in the Minnesota Vikings game, and we've seen some in-game adjustments from the Saints defense all season. Those are the things that make a defensive coach really, really valuable, and it's one of the reasons why Dennis Allen has really stepped his name up in terms of what, you know, that conversation might be in the offseason. Yeah, he's not the same guy who coached the Raiders. No. Not no, at no. all. It, no. it, is, it is a tremendous and, – and, again, not to just give credit to the coaches, but you can tell, again, the intellect of these players because oh, yeah. it is a lot to consume. It is a lot mm-hmm. to do from week to week. Uh, there's no – I mean, their base is basically in the number of players, not what they do. Exactly you know, like right. who's yeah. on the field is the base, not what their responsibilities are from week to week. Yeah. The only thing you know every play is that there's going to be 11 people. Yes. <laughs> there's going to be 11 guys back there, and they're going to be doing something. And that that's really it. That's all you can take away from it. I mean, even, even when they shift into base packages, right, and they have the three linebackers there, which one's blitzing, which one's dropping into coverage, that's something that the Saints love to be able to utilize. And a lot of times you're seeing Zach Bond blitz in those situations because of what he, you know, just what his skill set is right now coming in as a rookie, all of that. Um and but you know the other two linebackers that are out there which oftentimes even when Quan alexander was healthy it was alexander's learning that was out there in those base packages it's how he continued to get his snaps he was still you know either rushing as a pass rusher he splits as a pass rusher i think it's 44 times so far this season doesn't have the same number of uh same number of pressures and isn't as i'll say threatening a pass rusher as Quan alexander but still he gets involved in that part of the game and we've actually seen him come through in recent seasons uh, in that role, in terms of coverage, both of them were targeted 23 times. Uh, one of them, I think it's Quan Alexander, allowed only a 60% completion percentage. Meanwhile, uh, Alex Anzalone was allowing somewhere around 76, 78%, uh, 18 receptions on those 23 targets. But uh, Alex Anzalone also played more coverage snaps in terms of the count so far this season. And so he's not being targeted as much. So, you know, there, there are things that you can take away from it that show you like, okay, Alex Anzalone might be able to slide right into this role and not force any additional change. And, and the loss of Quan Alexander may not force any additional changes for the defense, but we just have to see that translate out on the field. But that's essentially what happened in the Minnesota game when they plugged him in. They didn't really change anybody else's roles or responsibility. How insane was it? That just this just just remind me of something that mm-hmm. that happened on Twitter last uh, during the game was when Quan went down and folks were talking about there were people who were not you know cover the don't cover the Saints who said right they gave up you know conditional pick and a player to get five games of Quan Alexander that doesn't make sense it was worth it this is the move you Absolutely made worth it. when you're going for a Super Bowl. You gave up a player who wasn't going to play for you 
a pick Ever. that you ain't going to use. Ever. For a guy who made an impact in those games yeah. and he got hurt. There's yeah. just not, there's nothing you can do about that. People get hurt. That's the yeah. game of football, but you'd absolutely do it 10 times out of 10. I push oh. those cards to the middle. Of, I mean, push those chips to the middle of the table. Absolutely. hundred percent. Because again, Kiko Alonso was never going to see the field as a saint. He's not going to see the field as a saint. He's not coming back. He doesn't serve the same role. He played, he's a Sam linebacker. And I don't think he's healthy still at this point. He didn't even make the team that was traded to him because he failed a physical. Uh, we don't know what the conditions of the conditional fifth round pick are. Right. So it might not even be a 21 pick. He might not have hit whatever that threshold is. The Saints could very well have said he has to finish the season healthy. We don't know. So it might be a fifth round pick for 2022 as opposed to a fifth round pick of 2021. Like we, we don't know what the conditions are. Saints don't value picks anyway. They don't, they don't care. They were going to trade that damn pick either way. It does not matter. They're 95. <laughs> they, you know, the cap situation being what it is, they ain't trying to. They, they're right. unloading. They're going right. to. Mickey Loomis don't care about your picks. No, this is the same team that traded every single day three pick they had to the Minnesota Vikings during the draft to get up and draft Adam Troutman. And everybody loves Adam Troutman. So we can we can chill on the picks a little bit. Uh, the other thing to consider there, too, is that you didn't just pay Quan Alexander to come through and play five games. You played him to recultivate the way that that position fits within the defense. That's what I'm talking about when I mean Alex Anzalone may be able to just plug in and take on the responsibilities as they were cultivated by Quan Alexander and Dennis Allen. So there was something that they learned about how to utilize that position and the the uh, the, sim- the the symbiotic relationship amongst all of the other how every other position around the defense responds when that position is utilized in a specific manner. Now you fill that role with somebody who has seen it done, who saw it get involved, uh, excuse me, evolved, who saw the way that it changed from what he was playing earlier on in the season. And with somebody that's in a contract year and has something to prove. So there's a little bit of extra motivation there too. So you paid Quan Alexander, mostly nothing by the way, to come in and do that, which is something that could have, a longer effect, not just over those five games, but through the rest of the season, the playoffs, and even in the future, because Quan Alexander absolutely loves his time in New Orleans. He loves being in New Orleans. He loves his work with Demario Davis. So there's a good chance that because of the fact that he's injured, he'll still be on the roster in April. If he's still on the roster in April, which is very likely because it's an Achilles injury, so they won't be able to cut him before he's healthy, he's going to enter a, an injury guarantee of $2 million for 2021. So he's already going to be on the salary cap at that point. So it gives the Saints an avenue to say, we want to keep you here since we're going to be paying you no matter what, but we need to rework your contract because we can't keep you at $12 million per year for 2021 and 2022. So then it becomes a potential restructure, extension, or cut and release type of a situation to where they completely redo his contract. And then Quan Alexander is back on the field for you next year in 2021. There might be some drop off in his play, but as we've seen with Sheldon Alex, uh, excuse me, Sheldon Rankins, the Saints are not afraid of that when it comes to the Achilles injuries. Sheldon Rankins had his Achilles injury later in the season. It was in the wild card round of the playoffs and they still ended up getting him back out on the field in time to start the season the next year. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities for why that, or a lot of reasons for why that acquisition of Quan Alexander pays dividends, not just for the games that he was on the field, but moving forward. And then if, as Zach Bond develops, as you get mm-hmm. more depth behind this, it's about man. It'll be about managing his snaps because at right. his age, anyway, you're going to manage his snaps. Yeah. You're not going to have him out on there. He's not an every down linebacker as is. So fine. Right. That's okay. If yeah. you're getting, not him everybody's at a, Demario Davis, right. If you're getting him <laughs> at a reduced price, but you know what he can still be effective at. Like you said, I think long-term having that film, 
having the ability to now look at Alex Anzalone and say, this is, here's the target now. This is what we're right. doing with you. And he can say, I'm sure he'll embrace that. You know, they didn't keep him around because he's not the kind of guy who will adapt. That's what you have to be to be in that locker room in the first place. So right. I can't see Alex Anzalone being like, and I don't feel comfortable. No, you don't feel comfortable. Right. You don't get comfortable <laughs> if you want to be part of this team. Um, I think the Saints win this weekend. I, I mean, I would just say that just because look, it's the, the Saints versus Panthers. I think they can win that game unless yeah. something, unless they do pull everybody and decide, hey, we're sure. just going to try to ride this thing out. Um, I think certainly early on, they're going to try to get Alvin some red zone touches to get some scores uh, to, to boost it. He's already got the Saints record, but he right. can, and the, it's, I think it's, it's the NFC South record too, based on what mm-hmm. the division is. So, I mean, yeah, you get him to 22, 23, you talk about Jerry Rice, Randy Moss territory for a single season, um, you know, Priest Holmes type numbers, Ladanian right. Thompson, you get in those areas and with much fewer touches. I mean, yes, much fewer. Much fewer. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's already, you know, this is his fourth year in the NFL, missed some time last season, wasn't, you know, only, he only walked out with five or six touchdowns last season. And he is now number two on the all-time touchdown list for the franchise. He's behind only in Marcus four Cole. seasons. In four seasons. In it's four insane. seasons. What is that going to look like by the time he's done in New Orleans? Like if he continues to work at this rate, right? So that's a big part of it. And this is a guy who is, um, you know, who who bounced back from injuries that really, really held him up last season, and has found a way to still get out on that field and be as confident as he is, he's having a ton of fun on the field. You see it all the time outside of the one time he busted his lip. He was not happy about busting his lip, Uh, (laughs) but uh, you know, I mean, this is, he's having a blast and he's having an, this entire team. I I don't know if you watch the, uh, the bills game Monday night, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that was evident was how much fun that team is having on the field. You know, their big blocking tight end catches a touchdown and everybody, the offensive line mobs. Them. The Saints are doing the same thing. You saw the, the celebration with him, uh, you know, counting off his five touchdowns at the time and uh, Emmanuel Sanders being right there behind him. Uh, Tron Armstead, Jared Cook getting over there too. Tron Armstead blocking people all the way. Yeah, you know, he took somebody back to Minneapolis. Yes. Like, <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he carried them out like it was home. a club. Like right. it was like somebody <laughs> exactly. started a fight on the dance floor. Right. And Tron Armstead was like, you got to go. And yeah. just- <laughs> can't be here anymore <laughs> you're, in the building. you're out you're out of the building man yeah man it was all expenses paid it was wild and so it you know i mean you just see this team having fun and and this is the the perfect time for it we've seen it early in the season and then we've seen it peter off at times later on in seasons in some years that's not the case right now this team is having a blast particularly for for, for alvin i mean yes. like last year was so difficult for him and he took some some justifiable criticism mm-hmm. for some of the things that he did because mentally i just obviously i think it was just different for him he had never been hurt like that he had never been down in production like that i think yeah. it was a kind of a bit of a shake you know like I, this was easy like he took to the nfl really easily right and it got hard and it happens to everybody in their career at mm-hmm. some point where you're like, oh, okay, I got to step it up. And he came back this season. He's physically stronger. You can see it. Like it is mm-hmm. visible, not only in his body construction, but in the way he plays. He is, he's, he's not mm-hmm. afraid to take on anyone. Um, and then just his quickness is there. All the things that you wanted to see, he's continuing to evolve as a football player. Whereas maybe his first two years, you could have said, well, maybe he's just a specialist, like a Chris, the Chris Carter thing. All he does right. is score touchdowns. <laughs> right. But now you're clearly seeing 
his ability as a runner, his ability as a receiver, those two things have evolved um, and they continue to evolve. And I just, the next four or five years, if he could stay healthy, the, I mean, he could break just the Saints scoring records are going to be just obliterated. Obliterated. Yeah, absolutely. Obliterated by him. Yeah. The conversation now of like people are in the top five running backs to say it's going to be Alvin Kamara and then a tremendous gap. Yes. Like the way it's going right now. I mean, the rest of them are what and what's to me. Like you, you, we can argue all over. Alvin Kamara is just pulling himself far away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially, should- especially in today's game too, because of the production and what you're seeing from him on the ground in the red zone in a passing league. I yes. just want to point that out too. Like just him and what he's doing in this era of football is special. Yeah, and, and all credit to Derrick Henry. He's a phenomenal yes. force. But Derrick gets a lot more touches. A lot more touches. A lot more touches. And he big as hell. Yes. He big as hell. That's a man. <laughs> like, Derrick Henry's yes. like two men. That's two yes. men. Every time you watch him stiff arm, like one of those little defensive backs and everything, you can see it. He is twice the size of anyone that tries to tackle him on the field beyond four yards of the line of scrimmage. There's no hiding him. No. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> You can see when you see the, the, the end zone camera and he's behind Ryan Tannehill. There's <laughs> like this big looming figure behind Ryan Tannehill. And it's just that's not that's a running back. Right. That's, a, that's a running back. Like, no. And it's yeah. not remember, uh, you know, folks may not remember, but Christian Okoye. Yes. The Nigerian yes. nightmare. Nigerian nightmare. Big, yeah, big yeah. back. But yeah. he wore these huge pads. Right. That made him look even bigger. Right. Derrick Henry just big, <laughs> just big. <laughs> like absolutely, that's like he's. I mean, he's legit like a defensive end. Yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. If Cam Jordan were a running back, he'd be yes. Derrick Henry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Booger McFarlane. Oh Lord. So Booger. For those who, uh, I don't know how you haven't seen it. If it <laughs> on Monday night countdown, because, you know, Booger is no longer on his Booger mobile for the games. The gall and the audacity for him to say that young black players coming into the NFL are, are worried about their brand, this, that, this, that, and not about how can I make my team better, not did it, and all these things, and focusing particularly and using – uh, Dwayne Haskins as the poster child for this of course. to make a wide sweeping generalization about 70% of the league these young black players who are in the league and how they come in it bothered me for a number of reasons number one there's no basis in fact for his opinion Nope. number two you did it publicly and what it does is it allows people who believe things like that to use you as an avatar, as their black avatar and say, see, he said it, so it must be okay Mm -hmm. to judge these guys. Dwayne Haskins is not the first first round flame out. He's by far black or white. Right. Through decades of the NFL, we can go find immature players of all backgrounds. Mm Mm-hmm and see them do stupid stuff that gets them put out of the league for one reason or another. Dwayne Haskins, quite frankly, fucked up. Yeah, he did. yeah, he did. And it cost him his job. Yeah. But that's not Pat Mahomes. That ain't Teddy Bridgewater. 
You know, that's not right. the, the, the overwhelming majority of black. That ain't Cam Newton. It ain't right. Russell Wilson. It ain't. I mean, all these guys who show up who are professionals every day. Why are you saying because of this one guy? Ben Roethlisberger almost got himself thrown out of the league, making far worse decisions. Way worse decisions. Like he should than, not be in the league type of decisions. Yes. Like should not be in society. Right. For a yes, while exactly. Types of exactly. decisions. You know what I mean? Like we, Mike Vick literally went to prison and mm-hmm. came back. And you're saying Dwayne Haskins is the problem. And if right. these guys are concerned about players have always had off the field things. Yes. Joe Namath got criticized for doing commercials on the side while he was quarterback in the Jets. We've It's always been that way. There is nothing new under the sun. And so it just felt to me that Booger McFarlane wanted to say something that was a hot take, but in turn, he becomes somebody who denigrated his own people, denigrated yep. a bunch of young players who he does not know. Right. And then made it easier for others to denigrate them as well. Yeah. So I, I, have, I have three things on this that jumped out immediately. First of all, Shame on Randy Moss as well for just sitting there and agreeing with all of it and egging him on the entire time, Uh, as well as the rest of like, I don't care how shocked Adam Schefter was. Shame on all of them for just allowing him to run his mouth on this. And Randy Moss, Moss, who pushed a police officer with his car. Yep. Once who got (laughs) who got arrested for having marijuana in his car. Not Mm -hmm. not saying he should have. I'm just saying for Randy to let that slide and say, yeah, that's the young players when Randy was that dude, too. Right. Let's not pretend like, yeah, exactly. Like, let's not pretend like Randy Moss wasn't a brand himself, right, in the NFL. So for certain. And here's, and then the other thing for me is that you're talking about a league that is 70% black and you're saying that it's specifically the African-American players, the black players that have this issue as he, as he describes it, what you're describing, if you are describing, if let's giving, if we were to hand him the benefit of the doubt for a second and say that he was describing an actual issue in the NFL, which as you mentioned, there is absolutely no measurable metric for to say that this is a consistent issue. What you would be describing is a football player problem, not a black football player problem. What the the difference is that 70% of the fucking league is black. So you see more black people be televised because of it. Right. Let's not forget that Johnny Manziel is probably the guy who made the biggest waves in terms of what he did with his damn police video and everything that he had going on, getting kicked out of the NFL. And then the the incredible potential comeback story that continued to happen around him. Right. The narrative that he might make it back someday. Where is that narrative for Dwayne Haskins? It's not present. The other thing is, and this is actually something I'm going to steal from from Kevin Hart a little bit. Kevin Hart talked about and, and, you know, Kevin Hart's not the greatest role model, don't get me wrong, but Kevin Hart has talked about before his grind in terms of what he does on a daily basis for his career and trying to set himself and his family up for his future. The idea that he's not just a comedian, but that he's also doing clothing. He's also doing streaming services. He's also doing film. He's also doing music, like all these other things, his his work in terms of his personal health and everything like that. One of the, the quotes that he said that I thought was incredible is that, White people, whether it be athletes, whether it be people in our industry of media, whether it be people everywhere, have the incredible comfort of longevity guaranteed to them. That is not something that we have. So when we get this much time, you have to pack as much as possible in that time. So there is, first of all, nothing wrong with being concerned with your brand while also being concerned with making your team better. There's nothing wrong 
with that idea. So let's eliminate the fact that that's a problem in the first place. And then Booger McFarlane's argument or whatever this take was supposed to be is massively invalid and largely a moot point. But the fact of the matter is that he created a narrative that, as you mentioned, can now be perpetuated throughout media and can be perpetuated through social media as well as something that must be true because of the mouthpiece that mentioned it, right? The vessel through which that information traveled is damaging because it matches the the community of people that it insults and that it damages. And that will always be the case. Just because you make something, you know, you say something and the intent isn't to be about race doesn't mean that it does not inform people's viewpoints on that very subject and that very topic. So it's far too nuanced a conversation to just have these sort of like off the cuff takes that you share on your Monday night countdown show. That's completely baseless, completely baseless. And using the lazy comparison of Jamarcus Russell. I hate that people continue to evoke Jamarcus Russell in a conversation about Dwayne Haskins when you can look at Chris Ponder. You can look at, you know, Johnny Menzel, as we just mentioned, and so many other quarterbacks in Marcus the NFL. Russell is a one-of-one one case. That was Absolutely. a dude who just didn't want it. He just yes. didn't want it. I don't know if Dwayne Haskins wants it or not. I, I can't say I'm not around him, but Jamarcus Russell was clear. And if you right. ask him to this day, he'll be like, I, I really didn't try. Right. Right. And there's not a comparison between the two in this situation. Uh, look, like you mentioned, Dwayne Haskins messed up. He absolutely did. And that's why he's not on a team anymore. That's what happens. And so either he learns from it or he doesn't. And taking that and utilizing it as an example of he can still work his way back to the league because there are still teams that are interested in him. He, If he wants to be in the league, he has the talent to be there. And utilizing it in that framework is far more conducive to the success of your league and the success of your media than for whatever reason, using that as a means of denigrating the entire, like the entire population of black players in the NFL, or I'll even just say non-white players in the NFL, because that's really what you just did. So that's, that's kind of my reflection on it. I think it's, I think it's obviously ridiculous. It's obviously baseless, but we can't just say that because it's ridiculous and because it's baseless that it doesn't have an effect because it absolutely does because of what it perpetuates in terms of the larger viewpoint. And, and the thing to me is, you know, people will talk out of both sides of their mouth and talk about judging people as individuals. And yet you're allowing Booger to do this thing where he's talking about saying all these players, right. these black players are doing this thing. Dwayne Haskins is representative of Dwayne Haskins Incorporated. That's right. He's not representative of black players across no. the league. He he's an individual who made individual choices, and right. those choices were bad choices. But Dwayne Haskins is not going to determine whether Chase Young is successful. He's not going to right. determine whether you know these other players around the league are successful. It just doesn't work that way. And he, right. he it is a it is also an insult to his individual agency as a person. Right. To say, dude, you have to be accountable for your mistakes. You, the person, Dwayne, I'm talking to you. You need to get into the film room. You need to not be doing these things. You need to not do. Talk to Dwayne. Right. Don't say every player this, that, and the other. Because anytime you paint that brush, if we said all coaches, all women, all this, right. if we were doing that, we would say that that's incorrect. But we allowed it to happen. And like you said, to for them. Everybody wants to, to, to not be uncomfortable in those situations. Well, somebody has to say, dude, what the hell are you talking about? It's on Dwayne Haskins. Right. That's it. It, it That's starts it. and ends 
with Dwayne Haskins, and maybe you examine his relationship with the Washington Redskins, Washington football team and how they handled him over two years and those types of things. Maybe that you examine that. But outside yeah. of those two relationships, there's nothing else that you can extrapolate to the larger league because we see guys fail every all the year. time. All the time. And again, if you even if you do believe, <coughs> excuse me, even if you do believe what you saw Booger McFarland talk about as being an actual issue across the NFL, again, what you're describing is a football player issue, not a black football player. Is Tom issue. Brady just, a brand? Exactly. TB12? The TB12 diet? Like the entire workout plan, the entire meal plan, the entire lifestyle plan. He's got his own this, that, and the other. All the you know the the commercials, everything that he does. Center live. Yes, like Big of movies. course, right? Like every player is developing a brand. Drew Brees has a brand. It ain't a great one, but he has a brand. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody has it. Michael Thomas, Sean Payton. Sean Payton as being the only coach that's repped by Jordan, right? Like all these other things, like there's so many different areas where you can look and you can point to different corners of the NFL and say, there's a brand. You don't even have to point to the corners. You just throw a dart. Like everybody, that's the point. That's the point. You have to have that. You have to, because you have to enterprise yourself. Otherwise you're losing money all the time as an NFL player to taxes, to agency fees, all this. So you have to have a brand in order to get those endorsements and everything that's a part of it. And just because you focus on that, it doesn't mean that you focus any less on the game. Let's not forget that Dwayne Haskins was the rookie off on the sideline that was begging his offensive line to tell him what he needed to do to make their job easier. He wanted to make that team better, but he was also brought into an organization that has an incredibly disgusting history, that has an incredibly disgusting culture the time that he brought in. And he was one of the few last remaining relics of that in terms of high profile players. And uh, Ron Rivera is trying to clean out, as well as their new president, they're both trying to clean out all of that. So how much of what the actions we've seen from Dwayne Haskins were actually not representative of the entire culture of black players around the NFL, but instead representative of the culture that he came into as a rookie in his franchise? Why aren't we examining that, especially at the same time that we're talking about the owner of that very team paying off victims of sexual assault? And yet Dwayne Haskins' front page He's the Dan problem. Snyder is back page. Right. And that, 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 right. yeah, that just, and, and it goes back to where you end up in your career has a huge influence on how it plays out. The Absolutely. people that are in your locker room, the people who are in, in the front office, all of those things play out. When we talk about culture, yep. it is higher than the coach. It doesn't start with the coach. Right. It doesn't start with the players. It starts at the top of the organization. And if you've got a bad organization, players are going to look Robert Griffin. It wasn't his Remember, Everybody got on Robert Griffin about his branding. Right. When he got hurt, he said, well, I'm coming back on this date. The man set a goal. Right. Which, if Drew Brees had done the same thing, which right. basically he did do last year, he said, I'm coming back on this date. Mm-hmm. He just didn't brand it, but he told you what's the difference. Right. Because it ain't, it ain't, it wasn't Robert Griffin producing the t-shirts or whatever. He wasn't right. out there in the factory. No. Him up. <laughs> right. He's still on the practice field doing his work. But they're 24 hours in a day. I'm sorry if, if there are football players and athletes and other people in general who have more interests today than just being in there, you know, just being what you want them to be as an athlete. Right. And in fact, it's healthier. 
Mental health wise, it is healthier to have those pillars and those other things that hold you up. I want to mention too, that we celebrate in the NBA, this exact thing. Yep. players building a brand at look at LeBron. I mean, LeBron's obviously a very specific example because he's the best player in, in, in the NBA and, and everything. And so, you know, you look at the school of yes, you look at his, his production, his television production company, everything he's doing, like branding in the NBA is a, is a natural part of the process. And in the NFL, for some reason, we're using these examples of, you know, these few and far between examples of a player that has the, that has issues to the level of what Dwayne Haskins is experiencing right now and using that to generalize all across 70% of the, the NFL and 70% of the league. Like it, there's no value in that. There's absolutely no value in that. No, I, I am the, the biggest criticism that I have for this is that the, that these networks have gone so far to grabbing former players rather than journalists Rather right. than people, uh, particularly black journalists, mm-hmm. it's you know the, the blacks on on television for football predominantly are former athletes, right? And I think that that in turn has changed the discussion and it warps the discussion um, because there isn't that mediating force of the journalistic criteria that we Integrity, have to have to yeah. say things. Uh, and I think that's that's damaging, particularly for black audiences and black players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bruh, um, I think we had another good one uh, this weekend. Like I said, it's not the most exciting game to be a week 17, but week next week is the playoffs. And we'll mm-hmm. know about the matchups. We'll know about some health. And I think we'll be really fired up going into that. But, hey, I, I just want to see how Kamara get a couple more TDs, man. Man, for real. For real. Get him that thousand yard season. Yeah. A few more of those interceptions. Pad that that lead uh for the for the season record. Like I'm all about AK getting his uh this weekend and then being able to relax a little bit, maybe for the second half or something like that before come out healthy. Playoffs. Whatever's necessary. Yeah. Get that's him some the scores and come out healthy. That's it. Yep. That's it. That's all I want to see. And if Taysom has played a whole set, look, James, give, give James some run. Give James some run. It's week 17, let James get some run. You know, I'm not going to be mad at that. I'm not. Just <laughs> I'm not let let James get a quarter or something. Get, yeah. Give him a little bit. Familiar Girl. opponent, too. The, yeah. the Carolina Panthers defense. Yeah, let him have at it. Let him have it. <laughs> let, him, let him get a little bit because drills need to be out there. Let me you know, you know extra shot, shot on his ribs. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> tell folks uh, when you'll be doing You got the joint pod coming up, of course, this week, and you got mm-hmm. plenty of other things. Let them know as usual. Yeah, man, absolutely. So y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson. Nola, check out all the write-ups over at Canal Street Chronicles. Got a couple different things coming out over on the YouTube page this week, as well as the uh, as well as the defensive line breakdown that I referenced a little bit in this episode, and then the betting article at the end of the week to get you ready uh, for the betters out there, the degenerates like myself. Uh, and then, of course, over at Locked On Saints, just Monday through Thursday this week, I'm taking I'm taking New Year's Day off uh, just to get a little bit of rest, but. Uh, we have the crossover episode next uh, Thursday this week or tomorrow rather with uh, Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. Did a f- couple of film breakdowns, some analytics breakdowns for the Wednesday, to the Tuesday and Wednesday episodes as well. If you want to go back and catch those, if you haven't checked it out, Locked On Saints, wherever you get your podcasts, of course. And then uh, I think that's that. That's it for me this week. I'm taking it easy this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same, man. I'm, I'm just trying to get through a couple more radio appearances. So if you are listening tomorrow in Lafayette on uh, 103.7, in the game i'll be filling in for two to four there um and i got a year end pod uh 
recording tonight or tomorrow. Uh, we'll just go through some of the big stories of the year. I don't oh. really enjoy doing, I didn't think I would enjoy coming through this, but so I had to get with somebody. We had to come up with some ideas to make it fun for me because one of the things I hate more than anything is your end of the year lists. Oh, so I had yeah, to figure I out a way to make it something that I wanted to do because I think that there was, there are significant things this year that needed to be discussed and reviewed. Yes. Um, and I wanted to do it in a way that made me feel comfortable rather than just going, these are the top 10 football stories of the year. Right. Went, you know, wanna... you know, can I tell you, can I be honest? You know what I hate so much? Top 100 lists, top 100 lists drive me crazy because 100 through nine, like 100 through 11 are completely irrelevant. They're all interchangeable to me. You could put 11 at 100 and I wouldn't be mad. You could put 100 at 11 and I wouldn't be mad. And I probably wouldn't know the difference. You could fool me. Just I mean, get to the yeah. top 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's the top 10. Give me the top three, in fact. I ain't worried. Give me the top three. Those are some of my least favorite moments. Those players, yeah, it always bothers exactly. Because if you were doing the most important players, it's the first 10 are always going to be quarterbacks. Right. If you, if you really were doing it right, like, I mean, honestly, the top yeah. 10 are always going to be quarterbacks. Yeah. You would never have a list of the most important players in the league at any current time. They're all going to be quarterbacks. Yep. The top 10. So it's yeah. just, it's players change the list up. And yeah, I get it why Aaron Donald feels it's just second or first. But if you had Aaron Donald and you ain't got no quarterback, it don't matter. Who you, who you, what you winning? <laughs> yeah, it don't matter. You got nothing. And as the Rams are seeing. In fact, if that will find out on Sunday. <laughs> there's a reason you, right. you have not been back to the Super Bowl, Rams. There's a, you know, right. hey, your quarterback hasn't been that great the last two years. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, end of the year stuff. I just want to relax, move into 2021. I'm not like, look, 2020 is what it is, but every year we do this. There's right. there's challenges every year, and mm -hmm. it didn't get it, it'll get no easier. That's mm. fine, but I'll say this because this is our last one of 2020, bro. This has been a fantastic um, 12 months working with you, um, and just that has been a gift. And I know we say it a lot when we do these, but no, just I hope you could tell right now that just like I am, I am extremely thankful for you as a friend, as a as a partner, um, and just man, you 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 made this job not a job on the Wednesdays that we do this. Damn, man, I appreciate that, yo. I appreciate that so much. And it, it's like like we always say, dude, like it's, it's right back at you. Like you've been so incredibly supportive of everything that I've been doing since I came onto the scene and everything and trying to make this whole thing work and everything from having me on over at the station to, to continuing our relationship for a couple of weeks at Locked on Saints to bring it here. Like it's been so dope and everything. And, you know, even, even just like the thought process that you went through to being like, all right, we got to brand this. We got to call it. So don't tell Booger we branded it though. He'll be mad. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you don't like finally like, all right, we got to get an intro for it we got to get a you got to get a name for it like everything like that like it just it's just so special to me what we're doing and the friendship that we have and the, the camaraderie that we have and everything and man I, I appreciate you so much man i'm just grateful i'm grateful in 2021 you got to come down see the new house yeah hang out by the pool chill out with us uh, I'll hang so, out by the pool. You ain't gonna get me in the pool because I can't swim. So I will look at the pool. I will say, look at that damn pool. Yeah, we, hang out, we hang out by the pool, though. That's what I'm saying. We hang out by the pool, chill out, cook out, have a little, you know, a little I'll go cook out and do all that. So the door is open, you know that. Whenever you whenever you come back, uh, the door is welcome at Casa de Grub. Appreciate you, homie. Same to y'all out here for sure. So for Ross Jackson, I have David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram, Twitter, H-I-T-P with DG.com. 
Um, and this is the last Dome Patrol of 2020. And the next time we talk to you, we talk to Saints, playoffs, and potentially the road to the Super Bowl in 2021. Uh, y'all have a great new year, and I'll talk to y'all soon.